Our scripture for today comes from Lamentations chapter 2 and chapter 4. I'm going to invite those who are able to stand for the reading of the scripture. How the Lord in his anger has humiliated daughter Zion. He has thrown down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool on the day of his anger. The Lord has destroyed without mercy all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand from them in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. He has killed all in whom we took pride, in the tent of daughter Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has destroyed Israel. He has destroyed all its palaces, laid in ruins, its strongholds, and multiplied in daughter Judah mourning and lamentation. He has broken down his booth like a garden. He has destroyed his tabernacle. The Lord has abolished in Zion festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. A clamor was raised in the house of the Lord as on a, a day of festival. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of daughter Zion. He stretched the line. He did not withhold his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languish together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. Guidance is no more, and her prophets obtain no vision from the Lord. And then from chapter 4. The tongue of the infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives them anything. Those who feasted on delicacies now perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple cling to ash heaps. For the chastisement of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, though no hand was laid on it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today I'm going to begin with a very simple prayer. And the prayer is this. Please God, make us kind and open to the pain of the world. Kate Bowler is a professor at Duke Divinity School. She's a mom, a wife. And in 2015, at the age of 35, she was diagnosed with incurable stage 4 colon cancer and was given a grim prognosis. So as a way of coping with um, the shattering of her world as she knew it, she wrote a book called Everything Happens for a Reason, 
and other lies I've loved. In February, she started a podcast. And if you're a podcaster, I encourage you to check it out. In an interview that Kate Bowler did with Terry Gross on NPR's Fresh Air, February 17th, you can listen to it online, Terry Gross asked Kate Bowler how her prayer life has changed after her cancer diagnosis and aggressive treatments. And Bowler said that her prayers have become much simpler and more direct, no longer flowery or dignified. Prayers like, please God, make me kind and open to the pain of the world. Today is the second sermon in our Love Sorrow series, which is on the book of Lamentations. And we're talking about the hard part of love. The reality that true love opens us not to just the good parts of love, but also the painful parts, the disappointment and the heartbreak that come with loving. So today we're looking at pain not only in our individual lives, but on the broader systemic level, pain that we carry in our communities, our regions, pain experienced on a global scale. And what do we do with that? Doyle explained in a sermon a couple weeks ago that the book of Lamentations was written out of this extreme trauma that occurred in Jerusalem. So in 586 B.C., the city of Jerusalem was completely decimated. And it was this final siege of the city that was actually the end of a lingering conflict between the Babylonians and this southern Israelite kingdom of Judah, which is where Jerusalem is. So over a couple of years, the Babylonians had kind of uh, gotten a bad taste in their mouth for the Israelites, and had gradually moved into this region, and then they decisively destroyed the city of Jerusalem in 586. And the destruction of the city of Jerusalem was not a period, it was an exclamation point at the end of Judah's conflict with Babylon. So the Babylonians didn't just overtake the government and occupy the city, they wanted to destroy the people's moral and cultural fabric completely annihilate them. So they came into the city and ransacked it, totally destroyed the city, um, killed many people, and then they sent those who were the educated, the leaders, the strong, they dispersed them throughout the Babylonian Empire so that they would no longer be in Jerusalem. And there would be no way that they could come back together and strengthen and overtake the Babylonians again. So this was one of the most significant events in the history of the Jewish people. And that's where the book of Lamentations comes from. So for most of us, this is really difficult to imagine. Um, Waking up one day to find that the world that you knew is completely gone. Houses, buildings, churches, everything gone. And most of all, there's this impossible-to-understand loss Of human life. All of the people and all of the things that make you who you are, gone. For some people in this room, this type of trauma is not something that only exists in your imagination or in the footage on the news, but 
are things that you've seen, and they're things that are in your memory. You've seen things that happen in the world that shatter our understanding of how things fit together. But for most of us, this is difficult to imagine. So it's tempting for us to think of the book of Lamentations as the most depressing read in the Bible, or a piece of the Bible that we'd rather kind of skip over, and maybe just stop there in our impression and understanding of the book. I think that it's important for us to understand Lamentations, not just as a depressing read, but as a book of truth-telling. Words that tell us the truth about the world, the truth about what it means to be human, and the truth about what it means to be in relationship with God. And we know that it can be hard to face the truth, right? So the truth is that terrible things happen in the world and that we are fragile, imperfect human beings. Kate Bowler, who I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the message, said that receiving her cancer diagnosis and facing the likelihood of her own death took away her sense of being the master and commander of her life. And if we take a long, hard look in the mirror, we can probably each identify with needing to be the master and commander of our lives, right? It's human nature. And it's also part of our cultural makeup. So as Americans, we believe that anything is possible with enough blood, sweat, money, Apple devices, and brains, right? Like, we can do anything. We can beat any odds. And... The individual is responsible for making something out of himself or herself. If we just try hard enough. And we also like to think that the ends justify the means. But the truth about life and the truth that we see in Lamentations is that we don't always beat the odds and we are not invincible. And the truth is that a person's success or failure is about more than just what that person put into it. There are other factors at play in life. The truth is that the earth's resources are not unlimited. And that we who enjoy progress forget how easy it is to build progress on the backs of people who are not going to benefit from it. Most of us at some point in our life will be faced with experiences that strip our sense of being master and commander of our lives. Or being master and commander of the lives of those that we love and would give anything to protect. We'll face things that are too much for us to handle. And we will be overwhelmed by the fragility of life. And unfortunately... We need to only turn on the news these days to see images of things happening in the world that are exactly what we read about today in Lamentations. Exactly. We need only turn on the news to see events that are happening in the world, in our country, in our community that make us feel like the world is coming apart. The world as we know it is coming apart. And make us feel out of control. 
and feel like we can't do anything to stop it. And as human beings, we ferociously fight when we're out of control, right? Some of us really don't handle that well. And we may not even recognize how hard we're fighting when, oh yeah, something's happened in our life that has made us feel out of control. So before we can do anything about the pain in the world, I think that we have to be honest about pain and our own experience. I think that we have to wrestle with our faith and allow ourselves to be challenged by the mystery of suffering, and particularly the suffering of the innocent, in a world that is created by a good and loving God. If we believe that we are invincible and immune from being undone by circumstances beyond our control, if our sense of exceptionalism shields us from understanding that we could just as easily be in the position of those we're trying to help, then there will be something missing in our attempts to share Christ in a hurting world. So this brings me to the first of three disciplines I'd like to offer for responding to pain in the world. And I call them disciplines because they're habits. It's a little bit different than practices. So in order to form habits, we have to do them even when we don't want to, right? And we have to keep doing them until they become more automatic. So we have to be disciplined about doing these things. So the first discipline is to open our hearts to the pain of the world and the truth of pain in the world. We're kind of tempted to retreat from and ignore and gloss over pain. And we in the church are especially guilty of glossing over pain. We are pretty bad about skipping from, you know, over Good Friday directly to Easter Right, but before Easter, there's this thing called Good Friday. Okay, so we struggle with this as Christians, kind of glossing over and getting to the good part. Following Christ does not immunize us from pain, and we remember that Jesus did not retreat from, ignore, or gloss over the world's pain, but he moved toward the pain. Jean Vanier, who's a Catholic theologian and was a mentor to uh, Henry Nouwen, talks about this work that God is doing in our hearts, helping us to be open to the pain that there is in the world. He talks about this promise in Ezekiel 36. It says, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And Vanier talks about how nice that sounds. But when we take that word flesh and replace it to read a vulnerable heart, I will give you a vulnerable heart or a heart that is capable of being hurt. It doesn't sound so much fun. But the truth is that this is the work that God is doing in our hearts as Christ followers. Our minds play all kinds of tricks on us to avoid pain. We can find ourselves months into a situation and realize how painful and frustrating it has been. And then we realize that we just haven't come to terms with the fact that we are experiencing a lack of control 
and are experiencing pain. So just like we fight the experience of pain in ourselves, the same thing is true when we encounter pain on a broader level, right? Whether it's racism, terrorism, poverty, whatever it may be. Every once in a while, we may need to stop and check in with ourselves and ask, am I ignoring or avoiding this pain because I don't understand it? Am I minimizing it because it makes me uncomfortable? These are things we need to stop and check in with ourselves about. The most serious problems in the world are serious because they're infinitely complex. They're like a plate of spaghetti, okay? Multiple factors that overlap layer upon layer. And we have to remember that we don't all have the same experience of pain or the same perspective on pain. But as Christians, what we do have is the example of Jesus who cared deeply about the world's pain. And if for no other reason, that is why we open our hearts to the pain of the world and the pain of others, even if it's different than our own experience of pain. So this brings me to the second discipline for responding to pain in the world. And that is listen first without judgment. Sometimes when we encounter pain in others' lives, it's in a more intimate context, like maybe um, something that's happening to a close friend or in our family. Um, And then even when we encounter pain on a broader level, we immediately feel this burden to say something, right? I think we've all been in that moment where you're at the hospital or you're at the funeral home or any number of um, situations and you feel like, I don't know what to say. And I feel like I should say something, right? I think we've all been there. So both in theory and in practice, I have learned and I can assure you that listening first, listening first is the best thing we can offer. We underestimate what a gift being listened to, really heard, has for people in pain. Often people are in pain because no one has heard them. So listen first without judgment. So when we encounter pain or injustice, sometimes we have this need to make sure that those same things don't happen to us. Right? That's like fear that pops up. And that's when the judging kicks in. And it's more like the micro-judging. I'm not saying like, you know, the you're not going to heaven kind of judging, right? I'm talking about more like the, well, why in the world did they do that? Or, well, if I had been in that situation, I would have never done that. We start kind of thinking like this. Okay? But, especially as Baptists, we're pretty good at that. But, The Bible tells us again and again that judgment is the Lord's. And it is dangerous for us to take the place of judge. Jesus teaches about this again and again and again. 
The same measuring stick that you use to judge others is the one that will be used to judge you. Right? I think that listening first without judgment, these kinds of conversations are one of the great hopes for solving the world's most complex problems. Practicing listening without judgment is one of the ways that we can prepare to be a part of transformative conversations. Conversations that have the potential to make new and wonderful things happen. Listening without judging is not an easy thing. It means that we consciously set aside our convictions our opinions, and our certainties so that we can make ourselves available to someone else's story and someone else's pain. Last year in one of our Setting Sail devotions, I wrote about a woman named Lema Bowe who wrote the book, uh, Mighty Be Our Powers. So Bowe is a Liberian social worker Uh, She's from Liberia. She came of age during the second Liberian Civil War. And if you know anything about Liberian history, there's a long and painful history of brutal civil war. So uh, Lema brought the women of Liberia together to end the civil war. That is what she did. Um, It's amazing. One night, in a dream, God came to her and said, Lema, you must bring the women together to pray for peace. And she ended up bringing together thousands of women. And their lamentations turned into this declaration. In the past, we were silent, but after being killed, dehumanized, and infected with diseases, and watching our children and our families destroyed, War has taught us that the future lies in saying no to violence and yes to peace. And we will not relent until peace prevails. Before any committees were formed or rallies announced or marches arranged, the women began their work by listening. So during the day, Lema worked as a social worker. And she started to notice that the women that she was working with, they needed more than just social services. They needed a place to come and unload their pain. And to bring their trauma into the light, they needed a place to be heard. So during the day, she did social work. And at night, she began a practice that they call the shedding of the weight. And the women came together and they sat for hours into the night and each person unloaded their burdens of grief and pain and redistributed the load on each other's shoulders. So these listening, truth-telling, judgment-free sessions became the catalyst from village to village that helped the women realize that they all wanted the same thing for their country. Peace. And it gave them the strength to organize and force peace to win over war. Listening without judgment, especially to stories that have been ignored, can change the world. 
So we've opened our hearts to the pain in the world, and we've listened first without judgment. And the final discipline for responding to pain in the world is to seek God's wisdom for how to respond in Christ's way. Seek God's wisdom for how to respond in Christ's way. So first, seek God's wisdom. This brings us back to the laments in today's text, which are prayers. These cries that we read are directed to God, and we know that they don't fall on deaf ears. At times when we engage the world's pain, this is the only form of prayer we find authentic. The pain is so overwhelming and the trauma is so impossible that to pray anything other than lament would be untruthful. Do you notice what makes the lamentations in lamentations different than psalms of lament in the book of Psalms? Lamentations removes almost all the words that express confident hope, assurance, and praise, like we see in the Psalms. There's more of a balance. And it replaces those words with magnified complaints. So the people are telling God the truth about what has happened, and they are not backing away from expressing the fullness of their despair. There are seasons where lingering in lament is the only truthful and faithful thing to do. And that is okay. When we're trying to figure out what to do about pain and injustice, slowing down to pray, to reflect, and to make space for the Holy Spirit is a good thing to do. Seek God's wisdom. Seek God's wisdom for how to respond in Christ's way. Responding in Christ's way. Following Christ's way has as many different expressions as there are people. But there are two things worth saying about responding in Christ's way. The first is that Jesus' way is the way of humility. And for sinful humans like us, this involves repentance The Israelites of Jerusalem heard the call to repentance over and over and over and over and over and over again. You can read Jeremiah and you'll see it over and over and over again, right? But they thought that they were invincible. And they enjoyed too much the profits that they gained from their sinful business partnerships in Babylon. And that allowed them to neglect to care for the poor. They enjoyed it too much. And we remember that Jesus enraged the religious establishment by showing them that they were a part of the problem in their community. So the calls to repent are there, right? When we open our hearts to the pain in the world, we will discover that we benefit from systems that cause pain and injustice for others, even if we don't mean to, even if we don't know it. We live in a broken world, and the church is not immune to brokenness. So to live in humility, we must repent. The second thing worth saying about responding in Christ's way is that Jesus paid attention to the margins, paid attention to the people on the margins. 
So in his social context, this meant engaging the tax collectors, the thieves, the religious outcasts, the sick, the poor, and women and children. So like Jesus, we are called to pay attention to the margins and to ensure that what we do as we try to ease the world's pain doesn't further jeopardize people who are living on the margins. The truth is that terrible things happen in the world and that we are fragile, imperfect human beings. God is the great reconciler of all things. The work of reconciliation and healing ultimately belongs to God. What we can offer are hearts that are open to the pain of the world, listening without judgment, and seeking God's wisdom for how to respond in Christ's way. Please, God, make us kind and open to the pain of the world.